Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hey everyone, my name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host on the Outlaw Nation and a voiceover guy. And, and big Sean Connery fan, Steve. Yeah, we lost we lost the big one. I mean, just yeah. I, it, it, it feels like Sean Connery has been around my whole life, you yeah. know, which I yeah. guess he has. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's 90 was, years old. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it feels like just such an important part of my life. And 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 we wanted to do something really special for him. And, yeah. and and we're kind of building up to that. But we also thought that we would re-release you know, we recently did two different movies with him and we're starting today with Last Crusade. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those ones that I absolutely love and cherish and one I go back to. And honestly, I know when we did the, the, all three of the movies, the first one was one that I thoroughly enjoyed rediscovering again through with you and Shannon. But I will always have a special place in my heart for, for Last Crusade and for his work in Last Crusade because this is an older man, right? This isn't Sean Connery. And of course, he's not actually older as, or as old as he's portrayed in the movie than Harrison Ford. But this is that transition time, you know? And as both of us have gotten older as men, it's like it's we've changed, you know, and remembering our stuff from our youths in our 20s and seeing this Sean Connery who was James Bond versus this Sean Connery who was more personable and warm and funny and vulnerable and not a, a badass in the standard way that we've come to know him. It was so great to see this kind of Sean Connery out there uh, that felt like you'd love to have him as a, as like a dad or as your own grandfather. And it's very similar to how I felt when I saw Burt Lancaster in uh, Field of Dreams. Mm. This idea of these strong, tough men from a certain time in our lives, but seeing how softer they were as they got older, how more and more in touch with their emotions, how more vulnerable their performances were. It was great to see. Well, and, and who knew that Sean Connery had these kind of comedy chops? That he could right. play this kind of quirky, intellectual character. And yet also, and, and this was the big discovery when we recorded this last time, mm. I had always said that Raiders was my favorite. I had yeah. always said that. And I, I still feel like if you just compare the action sequences, I prefer the ones in Raiders to the ones in Last Crusade. Right. But there's so much heart in Last Crusade yeah. that isn't in Raiders. And all of that comes through the relationship between Sean Connery and Harrison Ford. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just such a special movie. And and while I'm really sad that we're putting this out because of his passing, you know, revisiting these films isn't such a bad thing for me. No, not at all. So we're going to be putting out uh, Last Crusade Part 1 is coming out today. Mm -hmm. uh, tomorrow, we're going to release Part 2. And then on Thursday of this week, we're going to release uh, Hunt for Red October, another movie that came out just a couple of years after Last Crusade. Another yeah. incredible performance from Sean Connery that's very different. And then we got some plans, folks. I can't, I'm not going to announce exactly what they are. <laughs> we're not just re-releasing movies. We got some stuff yeah. happening. And as soon as we lock it all down, we're going to let you know, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. Uh, so I think without further ado, let's re-enter the world of Indiana Jones, Henry Jones Sr. and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The quest for the grail. It's not archaeology. It's a race against evil. If it is captured by the Nazis, the armies of darkness will march all over the face of the earth. Do you understand me? This is an obsession, Dad. I never understood it. Never. Neither did Mom. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hello and welcome once again to the Cinephiles. We we are continuing in the world of Indiana Jones with Last Crusade. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, consumer of food, and uh, writer, producer, <laughs> and host here in Los Angeles for currently the Outlaw Nation, my outlet that I'm building from scratch, um, and excited to be back in the world of Indiana Jones, and even more excited that we skipped the second movie, and we're jumping into The Last Crusade, which I love madly, and could argue that this may be even better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. We'll find out. Well, and to help us figure that out, we welcome back Indiana Jones expert, animation writer, actor, <laughs> and host of the Geek Buddies, Shannon McClung. Welcome back to the Cinephiles. Thank you so much. I will say I will say, co-host. Co-host oh, of the wow. Geek, oh, sorry. Geek Buddies. All three of us. Because yeah, <laughs> there are three of us, yeah. yes. But thank you so much. I would also agree that Last Crusade, you know, I go back and forth, but yeah. Last Crusade today is a better movie than Raiders Lost. I'm going to withhold my opinion until the end of the show. You're going to have to go through the whole thing for you to <laughs> feel how I think about that. Um, but yes, we are talking about Last Crusade, and we are not talking about Temple of Doom. And because we're not talking about Temple of Doom, I would like to talk just a little bit about Temple of Doom. Oh, boy. Well, just because... I'll keep eating. It, at least to explain, to, to sort of say why we're skipping it, which is uh, my guess is that I like the movie more than... Than, certainly more than you and probably more than you I two. like Temple of Doom. I, yeah, I think Temple of Doom is a lesser film, has great craftsmanship. Some of the action sequences in it are brilliant and fantastic. It also has some problematic stuff, and it doesn't, it doesn't hit the level of Raiders or Last Crusade. Um, it's a great further adventure yes. of Indiana Jones. I would agree. I would say that. But it's not as a prequel. It's well, yeah. done as a prequel, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's funny, like, I think the... The mine car sequence is great. I think the bug sequence is really good. Has one of the best Indiana Jones Indiana Jones moments of all the films. When you're like, Willie, we are going to, to die. die. And they hold on him for just a second. You <laughs> see this comical frown yeah. that he makes that makes me laugh every time. It, it, well, and it's funny because like the things in it are done really well and there's but you kind of look at like why did you want to do that you know why short round why have him have that ridiculous accent why but that's his accent why, uh, that's uh, he, he's he's in the goonies that's how he talks in the yeah, goonies yeah, yeah. but they, they play it up like big time he does he's a child he's not playing anything up. look I, I didn't i didn't interrupt you when you were making your points about how much you love it i'm just saying this is the things that bother me and also um, how they handle the Indian culture in there. Oh, and, many, yeah. and many people have spoken about that. Uh, many Indian people have spoken about that too. And in India, but I mean the country of India is what I mean. Indian people have spoken about how they present their culture. And But it is brought up, this idea of him taking uh, artifacts. I think it's brought up in Temple of Doom, which I think is fantastic. I like that because I can't remember where he is, Sri Lanka or wherever he was that he supposedly took this uh, artifact and explored that. So there is so, there are definitely some redeeming qualities of, of Temple of Doom, certainly. But I think some of the ways they handle the villain are just very ham-handed and very 80s yeah. in their disrespect of a culture. Well, and the Kate Capshaw character is, oh. is such... And, and it's funny, like... The intention was to make her a ridiculous damsel in distress, right. and they successfully make her a ridiculous. But she's so irritating to me at a certain point, you know. Yeah. That that, and yet I will totally watch Temple of Doom. I I like what I like about it. 
it's also way more scary and violent you know, with the with the you know, literally taking, taking a heart out, hearting out, yeah. heart out of eating hearts out of yeah. people's chests. Yeah, you know, and the voodoo stuff, and it's freaky. I mean, it's there's some freaky stuff in that movie. And I think this is where he met her, right? Isn't this where yeah. He, yep. And so, yeah. so he left Amy Irving and goes with Kate Capshaw. So yeah, a little of that's mixed in here. He he's actually said the best thing to come out of Temple of Doom is me meeting my wife. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And Luke has actually said the reason that Temple of Doom was so dark. He's like, I was going through a divorce at the time. Was, and this is this is what I wanted. I really hated women. And I wanted to make a movie. <laughs> well, and, and, and yet, I think both Lucas and Spielberg kind of knew that they had missed the target a little bit. And that's what leads us into Last Crusade. And, and the idea that we're going to do another one, and that part of it was to go back to the fun and the sense of adventure of the first film. And then they went out, and they had a whole bunch of scripts written. Um, including by Chris Columbus, who wrote a script. And there was things about haunted mansions and monkey kings and ghost stories in Scotland and seeking the fountain of youth and all of these ideas. And it's it's, uh, Spielberg's idea was to introduce dad, was that there was the heart of the film was going to be about the relationship with the father. And Lucas initially is against this idea. Um, They bring in the writer from Empire of the Sun to write, and and uh, didn't like that script. Mm-hmm. Lucas has the idea of doing young Indiana Jones, and Spielberg is against it right. because he had just done Empire of the Sun with a lead kid, and it hadn't su- been a big success. Right. I actually like that movie. It's um, a tough movie. It's, it's tough, movie. but there's but it's there's some really good things in it. And it's Christian you, Bale. The kid you talk about is Christian Bale. Christian yeah, yeah. Bale, yeah. Um, and and then he brings and then <laughs> where are my parents? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Steve, this is not, and not to cut you off here, but like this, the the ideas that they're kicking around at this time, one of them does spark Crystal Skull later on. They said yep. aliens and all that yep. kind of stuff. That was one of the ones they proposed as well. But they went back to the formula that worked before, as you said, the joy, the stunts, the fun, and a biblical thing they're going after yep. the Holy Grail. So yep. yeah. Um, and they finally bring in uh, Jeffrey Bohm, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, mm-hmm. who was the writer for Inner Space. <laughs> Not a movie I think we'll do on the cinephiles, but one I totally loved yeah. at the time. It was good stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun. I haven't watched it in a long time. It's I, a I, good movie. Um, the other thing I didn't, I didn't know is that one person they brought in to do rewrites who's uncredited is Tom Stoppard. Mm. Wow. Tom Stoppard wow. came in and wrote on the script, and he did a dialogue uh big dialogue polish he did lots of character changes he he was the one who uh did had donovan drinking the wrong grail uh he did a lot of work on the elsa relationship the final dad moments that's tom stoppard and it makes all the sense in the world by the way tom stoppard one of the great playwrights of all time in case you didn't know it makes sense because i mean one of the one of the drawbacks sometimes people speak about lucas and we spoke about before we got on the mic is his writing ability is not always the best so you bring in one of the greatest playwrights ever in the history of man tom stoppard to take a look at this kind of stuff and bring out the best of these characters and it's no surprise that some people like shannon and i and we don't know what steve thinks thinks the glass crusade is better or rivals Raiders of the Lost Ark because of some of the scenes, the dialogue, and the interactions. It's also not a surprise that Spielberg went to the dad thing. That has always been his thing. Big thing for Spielberg. Right. Absolutely. The dad stuff is always massively big in all his movies. Um, look at Jurassic Park. The dad has the two kids. Like It's all there um, in within the within the whole uh, storyline of, of his movies. Right. Even Empire of the Sun, it's this idea of the kid trying to find his parents. Right. Well, it's all massively part of it. I hadn't thought about it until you just said it. Mm. But so many of the movies are the dad is gone. 
down. Yes. Dad is going away. Or hook, whether, yeah. Where it's close encounters, where dad is going nuts, or you're in E.T., mm-hmm. where there's a weird relationship with dad, and that this is the movie of dad coming back, of right. finding, this is the reuniting with dad mm-hmm. that maybe Spielberg never really had on some level. Yeah. And, and, and talking about one of, of course, the biggest choices to make is, who's going to play dad? Right. And Spielberg's line is, only James Bond could play Indiana Jones' dad. <laughs> That's great. Which I love. And that, of course, is Sean Connery. I will say it many times in the course of this podcast. I think Sean Connery's performance in this movie is so great. One of his best. Yeah, stellar. And so different from anything else he's done because mm-hmm. he's so uh, uh, quirky and odd and, and silly and weak and comedic in so many ways. Which He's I, vulnerable in ways that you've never seen, never seen. before in any other movie. Yeah, And he, in real life, he's only like, what, eight years older? Well, than, he's 12, 12, 12 years, years older, older than Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been a scandalous, scandalous pregnancy. <laughs> so that's like me playing your dad in the next movie. Oh, oh God. Yeah. And then you both sleeping with the same woman in the movie. But anyway, God. we'll get to that later on in the film. Well, let's get into the film. Because again, we start with the Paramount logo, and the Paramount logo fades into these rocks, and we're off in uh, Arches National Park in Utah, and we see some horses in the distance, and it's a bunch of Boy Scouts. Here's my question. Was there anything in the publicity? Did you know ahead of time that you were going to see the young Indiana Jones? I don't think I did. I don't recall. I don't recall. I but have I have to fe- say that I don't recall, but maybe. But I feel like it was known that River Phoenix was playing yes, him. That mm. we did know. Okay. And we didn't know if it was going to be a flashback mm. or how the, what the point was. Or there were rumors, I think, also that River was going to take over the role mm. down the road. And I, I want to be honest with you. If he had lived... Absolutely, he would have taken over the role kind of in a weird roundabout way and played it again after Harrison Ford. You know what? I, I realize I haven't asked you this question, which yeah. is very important, which is, Shannon, how did you first come to this film? <laughs> Summer 1989. It was uh, one of my neighbors that I was friends with, Tommy Vera, who I've probably not spoken to in 30 years. Shout out, Tommy. Tommy, if you're listening. To Tommy Vera. <laughs> Tommy, can you hear me? <laughs> in Orlando, uh, one of our moms dropped us off at the Cineplex Odeon, and we went in, and it was the it was the kickoff of the summer because remember we we weren't in school, so it probably it probably I would have seen it a couple of weeks after it came out, but I just remember watching that movie, and I saw Temple of Doom in the theater, but I was very young, probably a little too young to watch that movie, mm. and but watch I was the perfect age to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I I remember. Just the excitement that we felt and looking over at Tommy, who was a little squeamish and there's not it's not as squeamish or, or, or Last Crusade isn't as squeamish as like Raiders or Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, definitely. But a handful of moments I looked over at Tommy and I could tell he it wasn't sitting right with him. Right. Ah. But walking out of that theater, I mean, just the summer of 89 was so great that you got Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You got the first Batman movie. Right. Um, at the time, I thought Ghostbusters 2 was amazing. <laughs> sure. Summer of 89 was great. Right. How about you? Um, same thing, kind of with with my best friend Maurice. I think we went to see it together, summer of '89. Uh, this was after the first year of college, so my first trip through college. Or no, actually, yeah, yeah, my first trip to college. So where we've come, he's come back from James Madison. I'm I'm still living at, at where I'm living in Virginia, and we go and see this thing. And it was like we'd been friends since we were 14 years old. So for us, that going to see the movies was a massive deal. So going to see Indiana Jones, which is Maurice's favorite character bar none. Um, to go see that film and experience it the way we did. I remember we immediately wanted to go back and see it the next day and see it. We saw it multiple times. Back then you could do it. I mean, back then you did that. You went to see a right. film multiple times. Well, we didn't have stuff. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> to distract 
practice. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw it. I, oh, by the way, I, I just because we're not doing it on the cinephiles is that my Temple of Doom, where I saw that, is one of my favorite. Where I came to that movie, which is I saw Temple of Doom in the city of Haifa in Israel Whoa. with Hebrew sub or with uh, in it was I think dubbed in Hebrew with English subtitles. I think huh. that's how I saw Temple of Doom. I saw Last Crusades. I was living in Walnut Creek. I was working at the comic book store, Flying Colors Comics in Concord at the time, and we saw it not in the Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles, but the Cinerama Dome in Concord. Mm. Uh, and it was same as you, one of the great just movie going experiences. I'm sure I saw it multiple times in the movie theater. Yeah. Do you remember the trailer that they had? I don't know if they ever actually did a proper trailer for Dude. the movie, but they did a behind the scenes in, oh. in production now where they had the the director's chairs folding out with Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, uh, Harrison Ford, and then Sean Connery. Well, and then the Harrison Ford stapling the stapling hat the hat. his head. Oh. <laughs> they showed, um, it was behind the scenes of the, the tank chase. Oh, we, yeah. should put, we should put that up on the Facebook page. Sure, of course, sure. Def- definitely will. Um, and uh, so, we're in the movie and we see these Boy Scouts and the scoutmaster says, you know, don't wander off. Some of the passageways can run for miles. Herman's little... horse sick, horse sick. <laughs> <laughs> and we're in a cave um, and there's two scouts and one of them sp- stops and one of them we don't see his face it's just like Raiders of the Lost Ark we withhold the face of River Phoenix's young Indiana Jones and they stop and they see something and we see a rope going down and there's some kind of excavation going on in this cave and we see the back of Indiana Jones I assume because you see the silhouette you see the body you see the hat you see the leather jacket and I love this bait and switch we're like oh there's Indy (laughs) I totally remember being fooled by this in the theater and then the camera pushes in as he turns around it's not Indiana Jones and we see in his hand the cross of Coronado and we hear its uh, theme because of course everything in a John Williams film is going to have a theme and then we hear the kid say Indy Indy what are they doing and now we see River Phoenix as Indiana Jones. This is a great switch at the opening. Well, and such a great performance by oh, River yeah. Phoenix. I mean, just perfectly adapted all of Harrison's Ford's Harrison Ford's mannerisms. Yeah. Well, and he had worked with Harrison Ford on Mosquito Coast. Right. Um, which I had forgotten about. I haven't seen that movie in forever. I love that movie. Yeah. It's a it's pro- might be Harrison Ford's best performance. Wow. Um, I mean, just because he's playing such an intense and troubled and difficult character, Certainly. you know. Apparently, River Phoenix used to imitate Harrison Ford on the set of Mosquito Coast. <laughs> and it was Harrison Ford's idea that River Phoenix play the young version. Oh, wow. Give me and a take. And now we see that it's Utah. It's 1912. And the young Indiana Jones says, I crossed an important artifact. It belongs in a museum. And this is what I think I said this in Raiders is that mm-hmm. in Raiders, he kind of is in it for the money on some level. Mm-hmm. And now we're sort of saying, no, no. He has a very strict moral code. And as he's telling his buddy, like, to go off and find the Scoutmaster and do this stuff, there's a snake in the guy's lap. And what does young Indiana Jones do? It's only a snake. Only a snake. <laughs> Picks it up. And we're like, wait a minute. He's Why is he not scared of snakes? I love these plants and payoffs. Yeah. They're so good. And Indiana Jones goes and steals the cross. And like in all Indiana Jones films, does he have a good plan? No. He's just making it up, making as, it he, up as he goes. As he goes. <laughs> and he sneaks away and he makes a noise and the bad guys look up and go, Stop it. <laughs> Outside, and he runs down the hill, calls out and realizes, Everybody's lost but me. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're on to a chase. And he whistles for his horse. 
And the horse runs up, and he goes to jump down on the horse. <laughs> Miss. <laughs> Bad guy whistles for some cars, and he's on the horse, and he gallops away. And we are in a completely different landscape. Yeah. Because now we're in Colorado. Oh. <laughs> it looks nothing like where he was <laughs> at all. It's like a grassy field when he was just in the middle of Utah. Uh, but that's okay. And we come up on a circus train. Do you know what Steven Spielberg's first movie he ever saw in a movie theater is? Mm, the I don't know. The General? The Greatest Show on Earth. Oh! Which is Cecil B. DeMille's Academy Award for Best Picture winning circus movie. Yeah. It's probably one of the biggest this should not have won Best Picture yeah. movies. Ah, yes. And in it is a circus train that crashes, um, which I just found interesting that he we end up on this circus train. Um, and he climbs onto it and the bad guys get on the train and he runs past some giraffes and he falls and the bad guys are getting closer and he goes into the reptile car and inside the reptile car, we see alligators and lots of snakes and he's on this little scaffold above the thing, which breaks and dumps him into a box of snakes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of snakes too. (laughs) It's not quite well of souls number, but it is like a hundred, 200 snakes on top of him. But proximity. Yeah. (laughs) And of course, this is how he gets his fear of snakes. And outside, we even see that there's a snake in his shirt that he has to get out. He gets grabbed by one guy. He kicks him away. He gets hooked on his leg. Uh, He falls down into another car. And and, and by the way, this train stuff was all shot on Universal Backlot. And what they did was they had inflatable tubes on the side Mm. of the train that supported him and they put air in and out of the tubes which is what created the rocking motion by the way lions do not like rocking motions (laughs) on trains it's something we're going to get to um and as they're fighting on top of the train a lantern or something falls down and hits a rhino and now the rhino horn starts coming up through the roof where he's wrestling with this guy and they we have this moment we talked about before which is two guys fighting and then they realize that they are in it together yeah and they work together to get out of the way of the rhino horn which hits near their crotches or his crotch indy sees a water pipe and jumps on it and swings around in a great indiana jones moves and runs face to face with who i'll call his doppelganger i don't know if he has a name does he have a name i don't think so yeah not that i remember man with a hat guy um, and he says there's no way out of this, and Indy falls through the roof. Um, and Very goes, poorly maintained train. I yes, know, right? True. <laughs> like, you would think this rhino and lion and alligator probably could have gotten out a while ago. <laughs> now he's face to face with the lion, and he's scared and looks back on the wall, and what does he see? The whip. It's just such a great... Uh, a great moment because we see it before he sees it and he grabs it and takes the whip to keep the line away, cracks the whip and it hits him on the chin and we get Harrison Ford's scar. Yep. I just, it's, there's something so pleasurable about this origin story. Mm-hmm. You're seeing all the stuff that makes up Indiana Jones happen right in this whole sequence. By the way, Harrison Ford got that scar from a car crash. He crashed into a telephone pole when he was like 20 or something. Wow. Tracks. Um, <laughs> Tosses up the whip to the guy who pulls him out just as the lion attacks. And the, the his doppelganger says, you got heart, kid, but that belongs to me. And Indiana Jones says it belongs to Coronado. Coronado's this should be in a dead. museum. Yeah. <laughs> and just as they're grabbing for him, a snake comes out of his sleeve onto <laughs> them, makes them uh, let him go. He goes into the caboose, which is the magic 
place, like the magician's home, which, by the way, the name on the caboose, I think, was... It's like Dr. Fantasy or something. Yeah, and it is apparently Frank Marshall, the producer, did a magic show, and that was the name of his magic show (laughs) when he was a kid. And he gets in on the chest, and the bad guy comes in, goes, okay, kid, get out of there, and the chest collapses because it was a magic trick. And there's Indiana Jones running away from the back of the train, (laughs) and we hear his theme. Um, One thing about the music... This movie has almost wall-to-wall music. It's like a two-hour and six-minute movie, and it has like an hour and 58 minutes of music or something like that. In this sequence alone, there are 55 sync points just in this opening. What that means is, so when when you work with a composer, you do what's called a spotting session. And in a spotting session, you sit down and you go through the film with time code, which means every second, and you talk about what's supposed to happen. And it might be, oh, at this moment, we want to have a tension build. And at this moment, we had tension release. And this moment, we want to have a scary moment. And this moment, the tempo picks up or whatever it is. And the composer will write down each of those things. And then they have to compose music that does all of this stuff. 55 different little points like that that John Williams had to hit in about four or five minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's just amazing. Mm. He runs home. We get to the Jones house. We see it says Jones on the mailbox. And he runs in. We do not see dad at this moment, which I think is a great choice. And he goes past the dog who barks. That dog is Indiana. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he wants to tell dad something really important. And dad says, Wait. No, Dad, you listen. Junior! And he starts counting. One, two, three, four. In Greek. He starts counting in Greek. And as he's counting in Greek, there's his Boy Scout friend with his trumpet. <laughs> and he runs up and he has brought the sheriff. And by the way, we what what is Dad working on at this moment? He's working on the Grail book. Yeah. May he who illuminated this illuminate me. And in walks the sheriff which is just what Indiana Jones is wanting. He starts to tell him, I saw these guys, and they're stealing this thing. And the sheriff's like, yeah, do you have it? And he goes, yeah, I do have it. Good, because the rightful owner won't press charges if you give it back to him. And who's there but his doppelganger? I want to say something real quick. So the guy who plays <clears throat> Henry Jones Jr. in silhouette there is not Sean Connery. It's Alex Hyde White, who mm. Shannon and I have worked together with at Universal Studios. Oh, he was one of the original wand keepers at Universal Studios in Hollywood, and he never fails to tell you that story that he is <laughs> in this movie. He runs a lot of uh, voiceover groups here in Los Angeles mm. for a lot of things, but that is his arm that you see silhouetted in the light, telling him to stop and saying "Count in Greek Indian." Alex Hyde White. Uh, he has another nickname. I forget Punchy Puncher or something like that. I think it's Punch. Yeah. Punch, Punch White. Yeah. Did so, he do the voice? Um, I think he did the voice okay. because he does voiceover. So I For, think of Sean Connery. Of Sean Connery. No, in of that course, moment. they got Sean Connery to record just, the voice. Okay. I don't know. His voice sounds a little different. Yeah. That's why I think it's him. It's yeah. a younger version of him, and he's in there. Yeah. And mm. one another one of his claims to fame is he is Mr. Fantastic in the Roger Corman Fantastic Four film. That's true. That's true. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting cat that Alex Hyde White, and he's credited in IMDb as as a. Uh, as Henry Jones Jr. So nice. Um, and the uh, doppelganger goes up to Indiana Jones and says, You lost today, kid. But it doesn't mean you have to like it. Puts the hat on Indiana Jones's head. So in this sequence, we have gotten the scar, mm-hmm. the whip, the snakes, the hat. It belongs in a museum and his whole style of adventuring without mm-hmm. a plan and just getting through all this stuff uh, is an amazing origin story. And his want for dad's approval. 
And, Absolutely. Right. Yes. And the Grail book. Yep. Which and will the be book. what we're going after later on and what will be used by Indiana later that Hitler signs. Yeah. So all of that is there in this one. And it's why this flashback is used, right? Not just to show you those little things that are fun for like uh, fans of Indiana Jones. It's to lay the groundwork for uh, this was probably the seminal moment of Indiana Jones's life where everything about 100%. him as a person is encapsulated in this one adventure moment. So for those of you screenwriters out there who want to know like what you have to accomplish in a short space of time, here's a good example. Yeah. An absolutely thrilling action sequence that also does all this heavy lifting to get us where yep. we're going. Full of exposition. And by the way, one other person we haven't introduced is there is a guy in a white suit. And he is the guy who wants this cross of Coronado. Right. And we have an amazing time transition because the hat goes on young Indiana Jones's head, who lowers his head down. And then the head that comes back up is Harrison Ford in the rain, <laughs> getting punched <laughs> yeah. in the face. It's perfect. It's perfect. Fantastic. <laughs> this whole boat sequence was shot back at Elstree Studios, and there are 3,000 pounds of water going around. The, the waves in the sequence are crazy. It looks just terrifying because it's not fake. And no. if you get hit with a giant wave, <laughs> you're getting hit with a giant wave. <laughs> um, and we see it's By the way, this is a 60 by 40 foot deck. It's on huge, huge gimbals. And there is the guy in white who we saw earlier, a little bit older, because it's now 1938. And he is taking the cross back from Indiana Jones. So we know that Indiana Jones has been going after the cross of Coronado. This whole time. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. It belongs in a museum. So do you. (laughs) (laughs) And they go to throw him overboard. A huge wave comes and he kicks one guy overboard. He flips another guy. More huge waves are coming in. My note here is ridiculous waves. (laughs) He grabs the guy in white, gets the cross, fights two more guys. The cross is going overboard. He dies for it. More huge waves come. They grab him and two guys, he he punches two guys with one punch. (laughs) We hear the Indiana Jones themes as he climbs up off the boat on a hook, swings off, lands in the water. More waves come in and the boat blows up. Yeah. And Indy finds magically a life preserver. Well, and as the boat goes down, do you see the name of the boat? It's uh, Coronado. Coronado. Uh. And the hat floats by, and we hear <laughs> the theme. Ah, <laughs> uh, the hat gags. Yeah. Just fantastic. And we cut to, and again, this is going back to the original, what was wonderful about Raiders, the Lost Ark? We go back to college. Yeah. And he's teaching a class. Um, and we hear a bunch of stuff in the class. One of them is archaeology is the search for fact, not truth. If it's truth you're interested in, Dr. Tyree's philosophy class, which I like. And then he says, we do not follow maps to bury treasure, and X never, never marks the spot. <laughs> Great setup for a payoff. And then as the class is ending, Marcus comes in and he says, I got it. And one quick thing, Steve. Yeah. I, so I watched the movie uh, in preparation for this. And after talking about Raiders with him in the classroom, and we see sort of his liking of the ladies. Yes. As the students are filing out, he is definitely giving the eye to a couple of students oh. to the point that I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Well, he, he might be that guy. Yeah, he might be. Oh, I think he is. <laughs> it's a different world. Yeah. You know how long I've been looking for that? All your life. And then, and then we get into, well, we could discuss my honorarium over dinner with champagne you're buying. Yes, yes, my treat, <laughs> which I love. 
and then I love Indiana Jones's office, which is basically like a big storage room yeah. filled with stuff. And apparently when he has office hours, there are hundreds of students who are mm-hmm. desperate to talk to him. <laughs> I've had office hours. It never goes like this. <laughs> you, you've never had to escape out a window. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which is what he does after getting a package that came from Venice. And as he walks out, there's some strange guys pull up in a car kind of surround him and we go what are these guys are these nazis are these government guys and we show up at a beautiful apartment and some kind of a party is going on and a man in a tux comes up i trust your trip down was comfortable dr jones uh, my men didn't alarm you i hope my name is donovan walter donovan and this is julian glover he originally auditioned to play like a, a just a sergeant mm. didn't get the part yeah. And then they called him up and said, no, we want you to do something else. Because <laughs> he had worked on uh, Empire Strikes Back. <clears throat> oh, that's right. He was the, uh, the AT-AT commander yep. at the beginning. Um, he's great in this. Mm-hmm. And we kind of talked that he's a big contributor to the museum. He's a big collector of antiquities. And he shows him this stone piece, asks him to translate it. It's Latin. And he says, Who drinks the water I shall give him, says the Lord. We'll have a... Spring inside him welling up for eternal life. And then he stops reading. Where the cup that holds the blood of Jesus Christ resides forever. We're talking about the Holy Grail. (laughs) It's interesting that they didn't call it Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. They called it Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Which I think is a better title. Oh yeah. Yeah. By miles. Um. And, of course, as soon as we mention the Grail, we hear the Grail theme. This is just what we saw in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Every important idea or artifact or character has their own theme. The Holy Grail, Dr. Jones. The chalice used by Christ during the Last Supper. The cup that caught his blood at the crucifixion and was entrusted to Joseph of Arimathea. And then we hear a little bit more of this story, which is about... The Grail Lord, this is real Grail Lord, that the Grail, of course, is either or both of the cup that Jesus drank out of at the Last Supper and or the cup that caught the blood of Jesus at the crucifixion, depending on which version of the Grail, or and it could be both. Um, and that there's this idea that the, these three brothers went and they found the Grail and two of them came back and one of them was still guarding the Grail and they lived for a really, really long time and were finally getting the markers to find where the Grail actually is. And Donovan is really excited about this eternal life thing. An old man's dream. Every man's dream, including your father's, I believe. (laughs) Oh. And you see that shift in Harrison Ford's face. Yeah. Um, And I love what his description of his father. He says, Grail lore was his hobby. He's a teacher of medieval literature, the kind students don't want to get. (laughs) Which, based just on the count to 20 in Greek, (laughs) you're pretty sure what kind of teacher this guy was. This tablet is one of those markers. It proves the night story is true. And I'm like, look, that's not proof. Yeah. But Donovan thinks it's proof. And of course it is proof because we're going to find out that they are true and that we need to find the second marker. And that we hear that their project leader believed that tomb to be located in Venice, Italy. He doesn't say who the project leader is. And we're about to complete this quest that began 2,000 years ago. And Indiana Jones says, that's usually when the ground falls out from under your feet foreshadowing (laughs) because the ground is going to fall out from under people's feet at the end of this movie and then we find out that the project leader has vanished and i want you to pick up the trail where he left off find the man and you will find the grail 
You've got the wrong Jones, Mr. Donovan. <laughs> Why don't you try my father? We already have. Your father is the man who's disappeared. Great reveal. Talk about burying the lead. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now we're back at Dad's home, which has been tossed. It's all a mess. Um, and we're with Marcus, who who we find out has was friends with Doctor Jones for a long time, and and that he watched the two of them, uh, he watched the two of them grow apart. And they look, and they, even the mail has been opened, which makes him remember this book. And he opens up this package that's from Venice, and it is Dad's Grail Diary. This is every clue. Everything that he ever found out about the Grail has been written down in this thing. And we're going, why would he send it to me? And by, by the way, behind them on the wall, we see an image of Christ on the cross, and we see the Grail. And there's another image on the wall of a knight walking between two cliffs, which, of course, is the leap from the lion's mouth that we're going to see later in the film. Do you believe the Grail, actually? Exists. The search for the cup of Christ is the search for the divine in all of us. But if you want facts, Cindy, I've none to give you. At my age, I'm prepared to take a few things on faith. Again, we're back to things from Raiders of the Lost Ark of do you believe or not believe? Do you have faith? And Indiana Jones as the doubter on some levels, and Marcus is the believer on some levels. And he says, call Donovan, tell him I'll take the ticket to Venice. And Marcus says, I'll tell him you'll take two. <laughs> Marcus is going on the trip. <laughs> Which, you know, for this movie, they had to change his character a little yes. bit. Because in Raiders, he was he was the father figure. Yeah. And when the actual father comes in, they were able to make him more of a more of a comic presence. It, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's what's so hard, and we'll get to it, obviously. And I can see from your face, I think you feel the same way. Mm. I think the comedic stuff is really funny. Right. And I really hate that they did this to his character. Yeah, because his character was so capable of everything in yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was so on top of everything, more than Indiana even in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. To see him turn into essentially a comic figure like Marion was in Raiders of the Lost Ark is tough for me. No, he's way more comic. He's a comic figure mm. like Kate Capshaw is in uh, Temple of Doom. Sure, but Marion's, Marion's capable. She's of certainly things. capable, but then they throw her into these stumbling situations and whatever. Those are those things they not do. Like Marcus. They use, I'm, not, I'm just yeah. saying that like, so it's comparable in that all three of them are used as comic relief. Kate Capshaw, her and him, just at varying degrees. But where I would push back slightly. Sure, sure. Um, and this, this isn't a perfect point because Indiana Jones has a line later on that kind of kills it. If it's not perfect, don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> um, he he's capable in his environment. Like when he is at the mute. Well, when he's no, I, I know yeah. I, that's the line. That's yeah. the line I'm talking about. When he when he's around when he's around his surroundings, he does seem very capable. And then you you plop him into yeah. the field and he's hopeless yeah but yes the, the we'll get we'll get to that, that line, line. <laughs> we, fly, we fly off to venice they had they're shooting this this is at the grand canal they had control of the grand canal from 7 a.m to 1 p.m to get this stuff <laughs> uh have you either of you been to venice no mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite places in the world it is so beautiful it's so serene i can't imagine shooting there I mean, first of all, this is in the middle of tourist season. It is hugely crowded in Venice, but there's also no roads. So, like, <laughs> movies production run on trucks. Like, they had to bring everything in by boat. They have huge tourists they have to deal with. There's water everywhere. Like, this is a really difficult place to shoot, but it is an amazing place to shoot. Um, and we hear that we're supposed to be met by Dr. Snyder. How are we going to recognize Dr. Snyder? And then we hear... Dr. Jones? And we see that Dr. Snyder is a woman, which they don't expect. I knew it was you. You have your father's eyes. And my mother's ears. But the rest belongs to you. <laughs> we get a little bit of shameless 
flirting, which is sort of silly. Because when you said, I wonder, oh, is he that guy? Yes, he is. He's going to come on to the first pretty girl he sees. Um, this, by the way, is Alison Duty. She was 21, uh, and she's Irish. She played, I don't remember which Bond movie she's in, but she's a Bond girl, and her character in the Bond movie is Jenny Flex. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and she's Elsa Snyder. The last time I saw your father, we were in the library. He was very close to tracking down the Knights to him. <laughs> I've never seen him so excited. He was as giddy as a schoolboy. Doesn't he call him hair, hair professor or something Oh, like yeah. That? He says hair yeah. professor is never giddy, yeah. Um, and that apparently what happened was she went off to some map room in the library and she left him there. And when she came back, he was gone. And all they found was a scrap of paper that had some Roman numerals on it. And now they come to the library, which is like a converted church, and they go inside, and we find out that this literally is holy ground, and there could be tombs underneath. And then he recognizes the window and realizes the window is in Dad's diary, and that's where they discover the Roman numerals 7, 8, and 9. And the big question is, where's 10? Yeah. Where is 10? And they start looking around. It's like those Sunday panties. Where are the Sunday panties? <laughs> they don't make them. It turns out they don't make them. Because of God. Because, because of God. Of God. <laughs> took me a second to get to, <laughs> to, get to that reference. <laughs> you guys have done When Harry Met Sally, right? Yeah. We did, right? Really early. That, that, is one of the, that is one of the one I think was up to, to be redone because we oh, did it yeah. so long ago. Yeah, it's yeah. like our fifth episode or something like that, yep. or fifth or sixth or something. Um, and Indy mm-hmm. looks down, kind of sees something, climbs up the spiral staircase, the camera work going with him up the spiral staircase he looks down he has a reaction and the camera comes up behind him and we see on the ground a huge x yeah where it marks the spot x marks the spot again perfect plant and payoff he finds kind of a crack there and when he goes back down what's so cool is you can't see the x or you can just barely see it he had to be at the right angle to be able to see it he grabs this big stanchion brass pole thing lifts it up We cut to the librarian who is stamping books. He brings it down just in sync with the stamp. (laughs) The librarian looks at his stamp. That's a good gag. (laughs) And we repeat it. It's the same thing. And this is how he breaks through into the... And again, one of the interesting things is Indiana Jones has no respect for history or anything. Nope. He'll just break and it's like this is not actually how archaeology is supposed to happen. (laughs) I'm just going to break through one ancient relic to get to the next one. (laughs) All you you archaeologists out there, this is not how to do it. No, this is not at all. Correct. You don't disappoint, Dr. Jones. You're a great deal like your father. Who she's had sex with. (laughs) Um, And it's all being laid, like, if you're watching it the first time, you don't necessarily pick that up, right? But when the moment is revealed, now you can listen to these lines, you're like, she is laying the groundwork hardcore here about what's happened. And Jones's response is, except he's lost and I'm not. And they go down, and we go, and we see first pagan symbols from the 4th or 5th century, and we kind of think, okay, it's 600 years before the Crusades, and we'll probably find them over that way. And then we see these men with these red fezes show up. And we hear their theme, and they come up behind Marcus, and and they knock him out and drag him away. Down below, we're going by some skeletons. We see a picture on the wall of the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> I love this bit. What's this one? The Ark of the Covenant. Are you sure? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. <laughs> Great. With the Ark theme. With the Ark theme playing. Awesome. And then he knocks down another wall, because, again, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> right. Um, 
and we now we see that there's he, there's water everywhere that they're wading through, and I guess there's oil on top of the water. It's petroleum, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and then he grabs a leg bone from a skeleton again, doesn't give a shit, <laughs> wraps fabric around it, and lights it on fire. Now, if I'm wading through oil, yeah. My hands are covered in oil. My clothes are covered in oil. I think lighting things on fire would be dangerous. The movie was getting long. They didn't want to add the part where he wiped his hands. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they go into another room, and he says, ooh, rats. (laughs) And then we see 5,000 rats. (laughs) How are you? So in in rats versus snakes... Rats worse. Rats worse. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, snakes. I, I didn't even ask about bugs. The bugs is the worst. I, that bug scene is like the oh, worst. Oh, yeah, yeah. The bug scene is... In yeah. Temple of Doom, That's I couldn't do that. Oh, yeah. I Ooh. could do this. I think the snakes look worse, but actually are not as bad as right. the rats. Right. Because a whole bunch of rats crawling on me with all and, the little claws. And biting you and giving you those terrible diseases. Okay. Well, they, well. well, they won't give you the terrible diseases, and I'll tell you why. Oh. All of these rats were bred for this film well, in a completely clean environment. Well, of course, for the movie. <laughs> well, no, but that's kind the of rats amazing. In the movie is what I mean. The rats that are in the movie could give you whatever because they've been down there for so long. And sometime before they go into production, someone says we're going to need five thousand rats, and they go, "Well, we're going to we're going to breed them all ourselves. We're going to get a facility to breed five thousand rats, so that six months from now or whenever this is, a year later, that's crazy. If you could guarantee <laughs> no bites, would you still?" say rats are the worst because i did it's the slithering the slip that the unnatural motion of slithering that's mm. what makes me have you handled son- snakes uh, i've i've touched one before i uh. yeah <laughs> yeah once i kind of held a snake i was like ah that's not yeah. so bad yeah. Yeah, at least the rats worse um, all those little fingers all those little toes and the guys with the red fezes are following them into the rat tunnel by the way the sound design because i love all ben burt's sound design for rats, is chickens. Those are chicken sounds. Uh, Indian elves are walking along a ledge, and we can see in the wall rats coming in and out of the wall and dropping down on them. Uh, by the way, one thing about rats versus snakes or bugs, bugs are impossible to train. Right. They're bugs. Snakes, really, you can't train. Their brains are very small. Rats, you can train. Mm. So they had them pra- they had them on the set practicing what they were doing four times a day so they could train them to come out of this thing or walk down that way or do stuff like that. Yeah. So the- <laughs> Would we call that training just aiming them in the direction you want them to go? Absolutely, you because think? they have a reward at the end, and when they do it, they get the reward. And so, yes, absolutely okay. is training. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. It's called operant and conditioning is its name. Finally, they find the, the, the tomb that's kind of hiring the rest. They push off the lid. There's the night. We hear the grail theme as they do this, and they found it. And it's a shield that looks like the other marker, and they does a, uh, a copy of it. Just like your father. Giddy is a schoolboy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he were here now to see this? He <laughs> never would have made it past the rats. He hates rats. He's scared to death of them. <laughs> so again, we have another connection between the between the Joneses. Yeah, they both have phobias about particular animals. Well, and he's kind of giddy as he's saying. Uh, no, like, yeah, true. Uh-huh. <laughs> true. He never would have made it past the rats. He's scared to death of them. And what does the guy in the red fez do? Drops a match. Big, huge wall of flame. By the way, none of the rats were burnt. They built mechanical rats for the ones in the fire. Who's fighting for the rats? 
Who would be upset about the rats being burnt to death? Who's who's upset about the rats? The ASPCA, I, who says oh. no animals are harmed. <laughs> rats are animals? PETA? Yes. Uh, <laughs> What's your definition of animals that wouldn't include rats? Cuddly things? I don't know. No. Snakes are animals. Snakes, are, are, snakes are fine. Rats. Bugs are animals. I think you can kill rats. You can't kill mice. I think you can kill rats. Oh, well. That's my own personal point of view. My, my sister had a pet rat growing up. It was very nice. His name was Snoopy. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. It was nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the flames are coming. At first, they see the rats charging for yeah. them to get away from the flames. They flip over the stone sarcophagus, which is probably weighs 700 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and they get under it. And now we have flames all around, rats coming in. Indy swims away, then comes back and gets her. It's really scary with her in the coffin with the flames and the rats coming in all over her. I think I found a way out. Deep breath. And then they swim out and manage to pop up a, a sewer somewhere in, in the middle of Venice. And what I love <laughs> is that, so what that means is that there was a perfect tunnel connection between the Venice sewer Good point. and the sarcophagus came, containing this knight who has the directions of the Holy Grail. Very difficult right. to get a table at that outdoor cafe. <laughs> <I know. Yeah. laughs> well, what's so cool about just go, uh, just go to the sewer there, the street. <laughs> yeah. Post, uh, let me figure this all out. You know, um, oh, Brainy people. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. Um, and as they come out in this cafe, here comes the guys with the guns and uh, in the fezes and they run and we Go down to the water and jump in a speedboat. Those are cool speedboats. Yeah. My friend Matt Garcia, who who grew up with boats, said, "No, that's a very specific, very fancy." But I can't remember the name of what they actually mm. are. Um, and we go into a boat chase. Yeah. The shot, by the way, of them pulling out, her dri- driving away, and the guy running and jumping on the boat just as it pulls away at full sprint. That's a great stunt, oh, and yeah. it's just a really good timing to pull that off. Uh, Allison had never, uh, the woman playing Elsa had never driven a boat before. Mm. <laughs> Apparently she hit a lot of stuff. <laughs> and I like that the crew said to her, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. You're doing fine. Because that's what you say to actors. Right. <laughs> you know, inside they're going, oh my God, this, this is not good. And I'm wondering how much stuff there was on the water yeah. for her to hit. Listen, I don't know <laughs> if, you have no, if you have no roads. It's true. You got to have stuff in the water. I and guess. there's a big fight with Indy and the guy on the back of the boat, which is going on. And we're coming up to two huge ships. Are you crazy? Don't go between them. Go between them. Are you crazy? Go, go between, between them. them. Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> then they go between them and the ships are coming closer together and we're starting to scrape on the edge and they just managed to make out. And the, and the boat chasing them crashes through in an explosion and jump. It's great. Yeah, really fun. And there's machine guns firing on them, and the motor starts to smoke, and they're getting rammed. And we see this huge propeller, and Indy's fighting, and the he flips one guy off, and the main Fez guy jumps on, and they're getting sucked into that giant propeller, which, by the way, was shot on Elstree Studios at a big tank, and it's shot with a 250 millimeter lens. It's a long lens, and as we said before, that compresses space, so they're not real nearly as close to that propeller as it looks like mm. they are. They built an extra long version of that boat to give them a lot more space, but still, it looks really scary, and it looks like they're coming towards the propeller and going to get killed. And he says, "Why are you trying to kill us? Because you're looking for the Holy Grail." And he says, "My father was looking for the Grail. Did you kill him too?" No. And then he asks where he is. If you don't let go, the Grail will both die. Die. My soul is prepared. How's yours? 
Yeah, great line. <laughs> Always great. love that line. He totally reminds me of Mandy Patinkin, by the way. Yeah, he has such a Mandy Patinkin quality, and it's not. His name is uh, Kavork Malikian, mm. but he's great. He has a great, great presence. The secret of the Grail has been safe for a thousand years, and for all that time, the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword have been prepared to do anything to keep it safe. And he asks, why do you seek the cup of Christ? Is it for his glory or for yours? I didn't come for the cup of Christ. I came to find my father. And that's when they agree, okay, I'll tell you where he is. And he's also got that tattoo. He's got that great tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And what we find out is that dad is being held at some castle in Austria. Great. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yeah, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. It's later on. We're like at a hotel or something, and Marcus is talking to Indy, and what they found out from the tablet was, or from the shield, uh, is that the city that they were looking for to lock in the location for everything else is a place called Alexandretta. Alexandretta. Now we know. Yes, now we know. Marcus, get hold of Sala. Tell him to meet you in Iskenderun. What about you? I'm going after Dad. And he says, I'm going to go after dad. And he goes over to the other room where we hear some music playing. And the room has been tossed. It's a total wreck. And he finds uh, Elsa in the bath. She asks, what were they looking for? And he pulls out the Grail Diary. You had it? You didn't trust me. Something that's going to come up later. And she starts to get mad. And I love that he says, you're not mad. You like the way I do things. <laughs> it's a weird, clumsy flirt here. It's a weird. <laughs> it's overt. It's so overt. There's no and, subtlety to it. And grumpy and arrogant and pushy in this really strange way. You're not mad. No. No. You like the way I do things. It's lucky I don't do things the same way. You'd still be standing at the Venice Pier. What do you think is going on here? Since I met you, I've nearly been incinerated, drowned, shot at, and chopped into fish bait. We're caught in the middle of something sinister here. My guess is Dad found out more than he was looking for. And until I'm sure, I'm going to continue to do things the way I think they should be done. And then he kisses her. (laughs) Aggressively. Yes. (laughs) Her response is, how dare you kiss me? And then she kisses him. And he says... 
leave me alone. I don't like fast women. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, I hate arrogant men. As she's nibbling on his ear. Yeah. <laughs> so I think they're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and we head off to Austria. Uh, and we're outside, and we're like, well, what are we going to do to get in? And, and we realized that, you know, this is a castle, and there's, like, art collections there. And he, then he sees her beret, and now he has a plan. <laughs> I think the next beat is, first of all, a gear that we've never seen from Indiana Jones. <laughs> a gear we've never seen from Harrison Ford. Yeah. We've never seen from Harrison Ford. <laughs> and I don't think would happen if Sean Connery weren't cast in this movie. Ah. Because I think that accent he's doing is it's a Scottish accent. <laughs> you know, I think this, and it's really funny. It's a very, very funny moment. Yes? Oh, for time. Do you intend to leave us standing on the doorstep all day with the wrench? Look, that gun and caught a sniffle. I've come for the tapestries. What do you say? Dear man, he's dense. This is a castle. You do have tapestries. You have tapestries. <laughs> and the guy says, this is a castle. We have many tapestries. And if you're a Scottish lord, then I am Mickey Mouse. Which was not the original line. What was the original line? The original line was, if you're a Scottish lord, then I am Jesse Owens. Ooh. And I want to say that in the theater, it, it might have it might have been that. But then the reason they gave for changing it to Mickey Mouse, like, well, we don't know if everyone's going to know who Jesse Owens was. But there's also some heavier heavier connotations yeah. when you throw that out. Especially. I think that's a great line. Yeah. And I'm okay. I, uh, I think that is a way more interesting line. Mickey Mouse is not as good a line. And yes, and, and it's funny, like, I do get the not everyone would get it. But for those who do get it, it would be great. Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't have liked it. I like the Mickey Mouse line. Because it's an American shot, right? Uh, that I'm Mickey Mouse. And Mickey Mouse symbolizes America. The Jesse Owens thing certainly fits for the time, right? Because the Nazis yeah. mm -hmm. and all that kind of jazz. Um, yeah, I don't know. This would have been post This is a white guy saying he's Jesse Owens, right? Yeah, it's yeah. 30, It's 38. So it's... Yeah. Well, but that's the joke. I mean, yeah. why are you saying it? Yeah. It's 38. The Olympics were 36. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, hmm. Very interesting. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> Indiana Jones punches this guy out. <laughs> and they look down, and there we see below them in another room a whole bunch of Nazis. And he says, Nazis. I hate these guys. <laughs> Why does it got to be Nazis? <laughs> um, it's funny. He's looking down at them, similar to looking down. That's a great point. They're snakes and they're rats as well. Yeah. They're the same thing. Snakes, it's, rats, it's, yeah, it's all, Nazis. It's, it's all, you know. Nice. I like it. Logical symbolism there. Um, we're exploring in some hallway and he goes, that's got to be where they're keeping dad because it's wired. And he goes into the next room. We hear this rain and thunder going on. He goes to the window and grabs his whip and she's a little worried. And he says, don't worry, this is kitty play. I'll be right back. Okay. And he uses his whip to catch onto this wire, which I'm like, I'm glad it's not an electrical wire. And, <laughs> and he swings across and then he swings back and crashes through the window. How is this a good plan? Yeah. <laughs> like, right? This seems really loud. <laughs> the thing. Whenever he says it's, it's handled, I've got it, it's, no, nothing's it's farther not. than the truth. <laughs> but but, but one, one of the Hans, things that Han Solo and Indiana Jones has in common is, trust me, yeah. is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he gets into this other room 
and he stands up and we see a shadow coming up behind him and then a big giant vase crashes on his face. <laughs> and the next thing we hear is, Junior! <laughs> and I love that he pops up, obviously stunned, and his first reaction is, Yes, sir. Because <laughs> he goes just right back to childhood training. Shoot, Junior. Don't call me that, please. This is a great payoff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the first time you see it. And then Tad starts to look at the vase and examines it. He goes, it's all late 14th century Ming dynasty. And he says, it breaks the heart. And the head. You hit me, Dad. I'll never forgive myself. When you can see in Harrison Ford's uh, face in that moment, yeah. like, don't worry, I'm fine. Like, finally, yeah. I've, I've broken he through He cares you. about me. No, it's just about the vase. And then you see Sean Connery's face change. He looks very relieved. He says, oh, thank God. It's a fake. <laughs> um, and then he throws the vase, making more noise, as if Harrison Ford crashing through a window wasn't loud enough. Um and, he's, and, and, and Sean Connery goes, I'm sorry about your head, but I thought you were one of them. Dad, they come through the doors. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wrong this time. But by God, I wasn't wrong when I mailed you my diary. You obviously got it. I got it, and I used it. And he says, like, he found the entrance, and he, it was in the library. And Sean Connery's performance is so good. Mm. As you can see him, like living vicariously through the moment of finding Sir Richard and that he was there and that he found the inscription. And he goes, do you find the inscription? And Indiana Jones says, Alexandretta. Alexandretta, of course. Alexandretta! <laughs> Junior, you did it. No, Dad, you did. 40 years. It's just so, so great. And then the next one, he's like, oh, I wish I could have been there. It's like, there were rats, Dad. <laughs> rats? Rats? <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is this thing that we're going to see is like their chemistry and comic timing, the two of them, is so great. Oh, it's fantastic. And also this this idea of that, look, and it pushes back on this idea that he said earlier to Elsie when he's like, uh, oh, hair professor doesn't get giddy. He is giddy all over this scene oh, yeah. with, uh, with uh, Indiana. Well, but Indiana Jones has never seen that. Pro- right. He's never seen this from his right, dad. Right. What do the Nazis want with you, Dad? They wanted my diary. Yeah? I knew I had to get that book as far away from me as I possibly could. You didn't bring it, did you? <laughs> you didn't bring it, oh. <laughs> I love it. And then, of course, in come some Nazis. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, uh, and they say, I will take the book now. Uh, and both of them say, what book? In your pocket. <laughs> you don't. Do you think my son would be that stupid that he would bring my diary all the way back here? <laughs> you did. <laughs> I should have mailed it to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? It's that Indiana so just always finds a way to disappoint his dad. It's just mind blowing. He's such an intelligent guy. Like, and, and some people we have that in our lives. There's that one person that, for whatever reason, no matter what we accomplish, that person always finds oh, a yeah. way to bring you right back to where you were and keep you in that submissive. Kind of, if you're if you have a dominant submissive relationship with anybody, there's that one person, no matter what you accomplish, finds a way to bring you back in that submissive position. You're like, God damn it, how am I here? <laughs> I remember going back. It wasn't like a high school reunion, but it was sort of a reuniony thing. And I'm with a bunch of friends that I had a long time ago, and I and I had graduated. For, I had a master's degree, and I 
I was 30 and I was like, I'm going to be able to show how far yeah. I've come. And I found myself just inhabiting exactly the same role I'd had with those people, yep. you know, 20 years earlier. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It's very strange. And in this moment, he's, you know, Indy's getting mad. I came here to save you. Oh, yeah. And who's going to come to save you, Junior? And as they're arguing, you can see, because what's so great about it is you see Indy has, has a plan, which is yeah. he's going to use the argument to distract the guards and to fight. And he said, but, but Sean Connery is just in the argument. <laughs> I told you. Don't call me Junior. And as he does that, he just punches a guard, grabs a gun, and kills a whole bunch of guys. <laughs> and again, Sean Connery's reaction is so funny. <laughs> What? Look what you did! What you did! I can't believe what you did! <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, our big uh, Nazi comes in with a gun to Elsa and says, "Put down the gun, or the girl dies." But she's one of them. Indy, please. Nazi. What? Trust me. Indy, no! I will kill her. Huh? Go ahead. No! Don't shoot. And Indiana Jones puts down the gun. Right. And Elsa goes to him and says, I'm sorry. And then she takes the book out of his jacket. Every, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but most of father-son relationships, the son is always trying to prove he knows better than the dad. And then that moment happens when the dad just goes, see what I told you, you idiot. And, and it's, this is that moment. He knew she's a Nazi. She's, he's like, oh, shoot her. I don't give a shit. You're not going to shoot her. But Indiana, still trying to win the approval of his father and still trying to be better than his dad, thinks he knows better than his dad and under, tries to undercut him. And what happens? Oh, she was one of them. And that happens in almost any father-son relationship. But what's so great in this movie is that they both save each other multiple times. Absolutely. And, and Henry Jones Sr., does have to reevaluate his son. Yes. He does get to see all these things that Indiana Jones can do that he mm -hmm. can't do. Right. And yet also there are these things where uh, dad is ahead of Indiana Jones. That's what makes it such a great relationship. Exactly, Stephen. And by the other token, too, Indiana has to reevaluate his father, too, realizing that Absolutely. some of the way his father's war was because of what he had to do or how he was constructed as a person. Indiana had to also understand. So that, it's true. Well, and this is the thing, and you know, we'll talk about this throughout, but like... Is there a emotional relationship between in a past between Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood? Sure. Is it really a story that is maintained throughout the film or is important or has a real resolution? No. That movie is a plot-based movie and it's watching the action of the plot that's really fun. This is not that. Right. We are going to see a real relationship and real evolution of these two characters as they come together. And that is that that is the big difference between these two films. And that may be the difference why you bring in Tom Stoppard to make it more of a character Absolutely. study as he would do in a play. Right. Yeah. And by the way, the reaction from Harrison Ford when he realizes that he's been fooled yeah. is just great. And then we hear the Nazi theme, and and Indiana Jones is going, man, you ransacked your own her own room, and I fell for it. And then he asked Dad, how did you know she's a Nazi? <laughs> she talks in her sleep. <laughs> talks in her sleep. 
<laughs> and the smile from Sean. <laughs> self-satisfied smirk. And the look from Indiana Jones is that sort of solidifies in his brain of what that means exactly. <laughs> By the way, George Lucas is totally against this plot line. Oh, sure. That they both sleep together. He is not a fan of this at all. Makes no sense. And what's great is that Sean Connery says, I didn't trust her. Why should you? That didn't stop him from sleeping with her. Right. He was totally fine doing that, but he didn't trust her. Like father, like um, son. <laughs> and now we see Donovan. And we're like, oh, this is the bad guy. And this is the thing that we had in the uh, that we talked about in Raiders is the main bad guy and the two secondary bad guys. So the main bad guy is Donovan and Elsa and the colonel or whoever the Nazi is, is the, are the two secondaries. And Sean Connery says, I misjudged you, Walter. I knew you would, I knew you would show your mother. I can't do the accent. <laughs> I knew you would sell your mother for an Etruscan babes, but I didn't know you would sell your country and your soul to the slime of humanity. I love Sean Connery's voice. His particular accent is so great. Um, and then they realize that there's some pages torn out of the diary they be- that the map, the most important thing in the diary, the map is gone. Elsa goes, well, he gave them to Marcus. Marcus, you didn't drag poor Marcus along, did you? He's not up to the challenge. He sticks out like a sore thumb. We'll find him. And Indiana Jones says, the hell you will. He's got a two day head start on you, which is more than he needs. Brody's got friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages, knows every local custom. He'll blend in, disappear. You'll never see him again. With any luck, he's got the grail already. Cut to. Cut to. Does anybody speak English? Or ancient Greek. (laughs) Or ancient Greek. So first of all, Denholm Elliott is a great actor. And I like even because where I first saw him was in Trading Places, where he's the butler, and there's a moment where they're planning the, they're planning their revenge on the on the Dukes, and he walks in. It's Christmas time because he's the butler, and he goes, "Eggnog," <laughs> and I just the eggnog moment with Denholm Elliott is hilarious. He's great at playing this. I don't like what they did to his character, but I can't say they didn't do it successfully. That's the thing; you can't argue the comedic moments, even oh. though you hate what they did to yeah. the character. Yeah. Um. Um. And he runs into Sala, who's like, where is Indiana Jones? And just as they're talking, he's even reaching into his pocket to pull out the map. And up a German walks up who says he's the director of the Museum of Antiquities. And they've sent a car and Brody's like, oh, well, this is nice. That's nice. (laughs) And again, this is a great comedy bit of Sala going, there is no Museum of Antiquities. (laughs) Run. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what did you say? Because <laughs> well, the German guy asked for papers. Papers. Yeah. Papers. I've yeah. Got it here. <laughs> Just finished reading it myself. <laughs> Run. Uh, yes. Yeah. Egyptian mail. Morning edition. Uh, uh, Run. Did you say... Uh, <laughs> Run. <laughs> Run. What? Um, and he punches the guy through the paper and I love Marcus's sort of smile as they run I'm just like what's happening enjoying the whole lunacy yeah (laughs) and Sala guides him to some doorway and puts him inside and is standing there ready to fight when that door closes it ends up that he just put he just put him in the German truck (laughs) um of course and now because Indiana Jones could not figure out that she was a Nazi the Jones boys are tied up. He's pretty bad with women. 
<laughs> like, like he gets tricked all the time by the by women in these films. Like, well, it feels like. Well, and that's that's his Achilles heel, right? It that, is. That is his big Achilles heel. Yeah. And you you can look in Allison Duty's face when Sean Connery is going like, yeah, he's like, I will kill her. He's like, yeah, go ahead. And she kind of looks over, yeah. like she she betrays it for a second, right? Well, and and just his flirting with her when he first shows up and gets off the, you know arrives in venice is that he doesn't find anything out about her he yeah. just immediately is flirting with her yeah so i think his uh powers of um deduction in this area are pretty slim yes <laughs> yes all, all the things that he can unearth <laughs> he can't, <laughs> but can't a woman's heart. <laughs> yeah and it's funny when you juxtapose that with raise the lost ark where the women are like throwing themselves at him that are the co-eds uh college co-eds here in this situation he actually gets into these situations, it's not as equal. Well, you know, I know we're kind of kind of joking around this yeah, yeah, of a, a, a little bit, but there is a part of Indiana Jones that is not evolved. You know, oh, like yeah. he got frozen in a certain kind of childhood and a certain kind of obsession. We know that he lost his mom. We don't know exactly at what age, and that he had a completely emotionless raising with his father. So he had to figure out a lot of self stuff himself. Yeah. Well, was constantly seeking approval, it seems like. Exactly from, what I was thinking. Yeah, from every from every male fi- father figure or every female as well. And even though the flirting, he still wants... And when the situation comes up, when he realizes that they both slept with her, it really dents Indiana's ego because that's the one thing he could have had over his dad. And even his dad had that over him. And it's just like, oh, man. Okay, you just made me think of a thing that it's... All right. So again, this is where we're we're going off a little bit just on this detail. Know, Steve but, just started to. <laughs> but 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 so Abner Ravenwood. Yes. Marion's father. Yes. His mentor. He was a young man, probably a, a college student or a graduate student. He had just left a relationship with his professor intellectual father where he had minimal connection. And now he's looking for a father figure. Right. Like the relationship with Abner Ravenwood just got much deeper in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he has a relationship with his daughter. Yeah, maybe that's all mixed in into psychological makeup that there's not a delineation like there would normally be in a situation like that. Well, it does. Not excusing bring, it, just saying. No, well, and this brings up a thing which is like how things get written, which is my guess is when Lawrence Kasdan is writing the character and he's coming up. With the Abner Ravenwood Marion backstory, mm. he wasn't thinking. He had no thoughts of of, of Henry Jones Senior, right, right, or his or Indiana Jones's relationship with Dad. He's just going. I'm gonna go have to find this woman. I need to create a conflict, and so he creates a history. And he doesn't have to put a lot of energy into what exactly that history is because we just know that there's a previous relationship there that it's kind of fraught with some emotion. Yeah, and there's stuff because. It's much better to have a thing with stuff than like, oh, we're looking for the headpiece of the staff raw. Oh, let me call my buddy Abner Ravenwood and I'll go get it. Hey, give me that headpiece. Thanks a lot. That's not dramatic. Right. So it creates a drama. But now, a couple movies later, suddenly this ties into his character in a deep way. Well, also, and if you think back to Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's talking with Denholm Elliott and Denholm Elliott is sort of warning him against the Ark. He's like, you sound like my mother. He says it in the present tense. Right. Uh-huh. You don't get the sense that... He his his mother died when he was like he had this sort of yeah which I'm tragic sure she hadn't yeah of course it hadn't of happened course. I mean it happened but in this in the <laughs> yeah. in the timeline of writing they hadn't figured that out there was something else that like I, I forgot to bring this up when we passed that part in the movie but when Walter Donovan is saying to him we both have a pass uh, a passion for antiquities yeah he does but he's trying to fill that hole of his father right he's like, he's like I do have a passion for antiquities but mostly I just want my dad to love me yeah 
Yeah. It's, yep. Well, and this is why this is a deeper movie than Raiders of the Lost Ark, is because there's more stuff here. I think the whole reason he does this is because of his dad. Yeah. I think the whole reason he's a guy who goes and finds these artifacts is because of his dad. Yeah. Like, it's this, it's a competition and also a desire to be approved, to get his approval. It is both at the same time. Yeah. That's what I think. Well, and it's funny that Indiana Jones, his dad is not a man of action, but oh. is a man of intellect. Yeah. And so Indiana Jones is doing the active version of what uh, his father does. His father just does it entirely in the library. And you remember this the, the, th- the scene we had? It's funny. It's funny. We just gone off on this know, whole thing. But there's a lot here because when we come back and meet Indiana Jones in Last Crusade at the professor, as the professor, what's he talking about? He's saying, hey, it's not all going out and out on these adventures. It's a lot of time spent in the library, right. which is what his dad probably spent his whole life doing. It's also why his dad is smarter than Indiana. Indiana being a man of action, he's a smart guy, but his dad is smarter. Like he's he's ahead of the thing with the girl. He's ahead of the thing with the Nazis. He's ahead. He's just always ahead of these things. The action stuff is what he doesn't. He's not as as equipped to handle, which is why you get the great line later on. We'll get to it when Indiana says, "Happens to me all the time." Yeah, and you know, it's because that's the arena he's he knows. Right. Yeah. Right. It's. I think it's like depth versus speed. Yes. yes. Like Indiana Jones is fast at like making a decision on how you do a thing. Right. Right. But he doesn't have all that depth of wisdom. Yeah. And this is. And so now we're in this moment where they're both tied up, and the question is, should we kill them? And of course, it's Elsa who says, "No, no, we have to keep them alive." Because, you know, sure, we have the map, and but we don't know everything that we need uh, to know. Um, and then she goes to say goodbye. <laughs> the Austrian way. The Austrian way. <laughs> and again, the, Spielberg puts the camera in the perfect spot. Because Sean is in the foreground, and we watch his face as she leans into Indy and is giving him this kiss and says, I can't forget how wonderful it was. <laughs> And Sean Connery's little smile and, thank you, it was rather wonderful. (laughs) The way that they line that shot up, when Harrison Ford kind of looks over his shoulder, (laughs) you almost think that was an afterthought. Like, the the purpose of the shot was to get Sean Connery, but then maybe Harrison Ford had this idea of, like, what did he just say? (laughs) What's so good about it is they handle it so lightly. It's such a deft touch, because this is gross. I mean, like, you, of had, you had sex of with the same woman as your dad. Man, the 80s were just a weird time. <laughs> well, and this is a family movie. Yes, I mean, it is. You I mean, know. Look, look, Star Wars is brother and sister who possibly seem with each other. Back to the Future is mom yes. going after her son. Like, the 80s were a weird time, man. We were totally cool with incest, apparently. We think about the, seven, the 70s like as the place where we're yeah. in the grid of human stuff, but right. no, apparently it's Back to the Future. And apparently Raiders. it was wholesome to want your son or your <laughs> sister. sister or whatever. Or your dad Spielberg and Lucas, they just gussied it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and after the Austrian way of saying goodbye, we have the German way of saying goodbye, <laughs> which is a punch that leads to both heads knocking. <laughs> so great. They do a whole bunch of stuff where there's little Joneses in sync that are just really great little comedic touches. Let's try to get these ropes loose. we got to get to Marcus before the Nazis do. You said he had two days start, that it would blend in, disappear. Are you kidding? I made that up. You know, Marcus, he got lost once in his own museum. <laughs> and this is the thing we talked about yes. before. It's like, it's totally funny. They do a great job of it. Denholm Elliott plays this all for brilliant comedy, and it makes me sad. And now, of course, Indiana Jones has a plan, which is reach in my pocket. There's a lighter, and you can burn the ropes that are holding us. And, and Sean Connery's like, oh, very good. And he reaches in. He gets the lighter. He lights the lighter. He puts it near the ropes. 
It burns him. He drops the lighter. And now the floor is on fire. There, there's a section uh, of history that we don't talk about, and it's the flammability of things made in Austria. <laughs> yeah, a real problem. Because that fire catches fast. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it goes go really fast. And it's Sean Connery's embarrassment about, like, I have to tell you something. And again, the misunderstanding of, like, don't get sentimental. Save it till we're out of here. The floor is on fire. <laughs> the table <laughs> um they talk about fire as a wild animal on the set and basically basically none of these things are flammable that's how they do this is the rug isn't flammable the chairs aren't flammable and they have these pipes that shoot out fire have you worked with fire in some of the show like universal shows yeah yeah the, there was a um at islands of adventure at universal orlando which is their second theme park there is a thing called the Poseid uh, poseidon's fury which is sort mm. of a, a walkthrough but it's a young um adventurer like character young scholar who who goes into an, like an ancient greek temple and we end up um enabling a bunch of fire effects and we're essentially just pressing a button and they do a lot of the fire is about four feet in front of us, but to the audience, it looks like much closer. It's yeah. right there, but even four or five feet in front of you, you feel the heat from it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is something that, especially with theme parks, they are very, very careful because you have to do it over and over yep. and over again, and someone's going to trip, and someone's going to, you know, something's going to happen at yeah. some point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the timing to enable the effect, it's very specific. Mm -hmm. Like right. if you're if you're off by a second, it doesn't go. So they're while they're dealing with the fire, uh, Elsa and the Nazi, the the other Nazi colonel whose name I don't remember, they find out that hey, we got Marcus, so we don't need them. Let's kill him. And I love the line: Germany has declared war on the Jones boys. <laughs> that feels like a line written for a trailer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Definitely. Um, another little comedy bit of the dad. What? Dad, what? Dad, what? As they're turning their heads the wrong way. Dad! Oh, dad! Oh, dad! What? Sean Connery has a great squawk. That, <laughs> la that last... What? <laughs> <laughs> and they they kind of head over to the big, giant fireplace, which is perfectly human size. And Indy's trying to get the uh, rope to go off, and they trigger a secret passageway. <laughs> and it spins around. And I kept thinking about, put the candle yeah, yeah. back! <laughs> Um, and they turn into the radio room where a whole bunch of Nazis are, including this woman on the radio. And her slow turn <laughs> is so funny. Yeah. I would have loved to have been on the set for that direction. Again, slower. 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 <laughs> Boom, it totally works. It does totally work. And, and the looks on their faces. It's that she screams and they manage to hit the thing again just as the Nazis open fire. Sean Connery, this is intolerable. <laughs> and finally, Indy gets out and the Germans now open the door and the and they end up on either side because now the fireplace stops in the middle and the Joneses drop down on top of them. Indy takes one guy out. Uh, Henry isn't taking anyone out. Um, <laughs> Indy stops the door with a statue, grabs the stuff, takes out another uh, guy, and then they end up in a room with a dead end. <laughs> and the, the, the level of silliness of this movie is much higher than Raiders. <laughs> yes, 100% agree. Because now yeah. Sean Connery... You know, Indy's going like, what do we do? And he says, well, I find if I just sit down. <laughs> and he sits down on a chair and leans back and then opens up a secret passageway spiral staircase that Indiana Jones stumbles down. 
And, and this is what we're going to see is the amount of effort necessary for Indiana Jones to save the day compared to the ease with which his dad does it in ways that are very irritating to Indiana Jones. (laughs) And we go downside and we're at some boats and Henry's ready to get in the boat. And Indy starts up the boat and he sends the boat away. And I love Sean Connery's sort of sad. What about the boat? We're not going on the boat. (laughs) No boat. Uh, The Nazis come out, they see the boat go away, they get in the boat and then out come... Uh, the Joneses on a motorcycle with a sidecar knocking them down. Right. Why did they wait a little longer? You know, uh, well, you know the next action scene that this was added, that whole big motorcycle chase, this was added after because they watched a, a test cut of the movie and they're like, ah, th- there's not enough action in the second act here. So they shot, they shoot that whole motorcycle chase uh, on Luke, uh, Lucasfilm. Ranch. Yeah, it's right off Mount Tam, which is literally a few miles from where I grew up. So you figure... I don't know. I mean, they they didn't intend for them to be followed at that point. Oh, maybe that. May, yeah, because maybe it was supposed it to is. go from them driving away to them pulling up to the sign where it says, like, Berlin, mm. where, where, oh, yeah. the other city. And this is, by the way, a suggestion from Michael Kahn, who's the editor. We talked about Raiders. And this guy, most of the big Spielberg films, Schindler's mm. List, Jurassic Park, uh, AI, Minority Report, Catch Me Can, Terminal, Munich, Lincoln, Warhouse, this, uh, Close Encounters. And 1941, this is Spielberg's main editor. Mm. So this guy is one of the great editors of all time. And and this decision to add this um, action sequence is great. Yeah. When they when they ride off and Indy's on the motorcycle and Sean Connery's in the sidecar and Indy's kind of intense and excited and looks over at dad who is just sort of disapproving. Yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant. I mean, because you can't keep forgetting the fact that this is James Bond the whole time you're watching yeah. it right the whole his inability to fight his stumbling into the escapes then he how he sits in the sidecar like a little child <laughs> and his just all grumpiness about the whole situation his disapproval his disapproval right <laughs> yes which which i'm sure indiana is very uh you know experienced with that face and so it only adds to his frustration and so even though he's fighting nazis and saving his dad's life he still can't escape the disapproving relationship with his father, even in the midst of this high-speed motorcycle chase. You know what's funny? I feel like the one moment of action that uh, Indiana Jones does get the approval from his dad is when he grabs that yes, flagpole. I agree, and he ja- he jousts because yeah, yeah. there, there's there, there's a perceived sense of honor with that right. with that kind of contest. Well, but when he follows it up with jamming the broken pole into the motorcycle spokes, creating a much more spectacular sure. uh, win uh, that he doesn't like. No. like. no, that was that was not fair. You're showing off now. Well, and when <laughs> you're, I mean, honestly, when you're on a quest for the Grail, jousting is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, you know, true. <laughs> um, and so we take out some of these motorcycle guys. And then we arrive, which is where we were supposed to arrive without this action sequence, at the crossroads. We're going the wrong way. We have to get to Berlin. Brody's this way. My diary's in Berlin. Why do we need the book? We got the map. We know it's Alexandretta. What else do we need? And that's when we find out that he who finds the grail must face the final challenge. Three devices of such lethal cunning. Booby traps? Oh, yes. Sean Connery is so excited because he's got the clues. Mm. And Indy goes, well, what are they? Can't you remember? I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Which, by the way, they're pretty short clues. Yeah. <laughs> like, it seems to me that you could have remembered those three things. That's a pretty thick diary. A thick I was going to say. He's been jotting in yeah. it for decades. Yeah. 
Half the German army's on our tail, and you want me to go to Berlin? And Sean Connery says the only thing that matters is the grail. Mm. And this goes to the essential theme of not only of this movie, but to some degree things we talked about in Raiders, which is in Raiders, the most important thing is the arc. And over and over again, Indy has the choice between saving Marion's life or saving the arc. Mm. And he chooses the arc. And now he's with his dad who says the only thing that matters is the grail. And in his childhood, what did Indy felt matter more? Himself or the grail? Right. The, the grail was always more important. And Indy says, what about Marcus? And he says, Marcus would agree with me. Two selfless martyrs. Jesus Christ. Slap. <laughs> That's for blasphemy. And by the way, you can't discount Harrison Ford's face. You talk about Connery's faces, but Harrison Ford's faces throughout this movie are great as his son. Yeah, right? Totally. The slap and, and like, just <laughs> like, when's the last time Indiana's been slaps in, <laughs> in disregard like that? Right. And it was like, where he didn't punch the guy yeah, where back. Yeah, he punched the guy right. Just the look on his face is just like the shock of it all. It's so brilliant. And he reduces him back to being his son in totally. that moment. After this incredible action sequence, which proved his manhood. There's the slap in the face to reduce him back down again. He's like, oh, my God. From a lower position. Yeah. From a lower position. It's all works so well. It's great. It's yeah. a great, great moment. And then Dad says, The quest for the grail. There's no archaeology. It's a race against evil. If it is captured by the Nazis, the armies of darkness will march all over the face of the earth. Do you understand me? And Indy's response is, this is an obsession, Dad. I never understood it. Never. Neither did Mom. Oh, yes, she did. Only too well. Unfortunately, she kept her illness from me. All I could do was mourn her. Two sentences. Yeah. Or three sentences. That tells us that's all the backstory really we're going to get. But there's so much here. Like, one of the things I was wondering is, like, how old was Indy when mom died? Well, you get the sense she has died before I think the so opening too. sequence. Yes, I think so, too. And I think she died a fair amount of time before the opening sequence. Yeah, maybe he's 11, maybe 12. Yeah, that's what I was died. thinking, too. Just because he's cognizant of the grail being more important than his mom, right? So you have to have that certain level of cognizant understanding. I think that's 11, 10, or 11, or 12 uh, for it to become a issue as a teenager against your father, right? And I think that's what it feels around that kind of formative years, those formative years. And I think when he runs in with the cross, <laughs> this is, it's not it's not, I'm running from these guys it's right. look what I found, Dad. Yeah. Right. He's right. trying to make a connection with him. Right, okay. because Dad is searching for lost things and that's what he's done. I, I think you can't discount that at all, I agree. I also think this is a window into their perception of that situation. Yeah. I think they're both lying to themselves. I think he's lying that, yeah. you know, mom was mad at you for this or this because maybe mom did say something to Indiana. It's, oh, that grail all the time, blah, blah, blah. And so it frustrated him that, you know, his dad didn't take care of his mom. But he's saying your mom did me a favor, understood it was her love, keep her love of me and knowing what I loved in the grail, how important it was for me to find it. That's why she hid her illness. Somewhere in the middle of two, these two perceptions of the situation is the truth. And I love that they both have their own narrative about this situation, as happens in relationships and families. I think it's a brilliant piece of writing, because yeah, I, I agree totally with what you said. And I think they both have truth. Yes. Is that they both constructed the events in a certain way. So we have Dad, who didn't know his wife was dying. 
and was just obsessively doing his grail stuff. And we have the son who has got to feel this tremendous loss. And then he's with this dad who's not giving him any emotional anything, you know? And so you think of the nature of this house had to be from, so let's say it's from 11 to Mm -hmm. 18, seven years of being a really, really quiet. Oh, yeah. You know, emotionless place. Mm -hmm. I also think, by the way, because let's say Indy was 11-ish. Again, we have very slim evidence that we're analyzing this based on. But do you think Henry's grail obsession before and after the death of his wife was greater, lesser, or the same? I imagine it was great and it became greater. That's what I think, too. Hmm. I think I think he probably was more connected to life and his family and his child before the death of his wife. Yeah. And when he could not, being unable to deal with the emotion of the death of his wife, he turned even deeper into the grail yeah. rather than connecting with his son who obviously really needed him. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, this is it goes into all these things about screenwriting. I'm sure you think about this is what show don't tell really means is that you have little tiny. It's not that you said if they had said, oh, well, I, mom died when I was 11 and you did this and I did this and you said that and I said that, that we would have a better feeling about what was happening. It's because it's fairly thin, but because it's filled with a lot of subtext mm-hmm. that we really connect to the characters in this moment emotionally. Well, and it's also delivered with a lot of subtext. It's Absolutely. Important. That's what I was yeah. going to say as well. I I mean, that's the combination of really good writing meeting really good acting. And we cut back to a close-up of Indiana Jones, who turns and looks up at that crossroad sign. And as the camera pushes in and in, we hear the rising sound of a Nazi rally. And that seems like as good a time as any to end part one of our exploration of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. As always, we want to hear what you think about this film. Just visit us on our Facebook page. Do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and a whole bunch of other places. You can support us and even pick a film or listen to our Cinephile shorts at patreon.com slash the Cinephiles. You can buy or stream Last Crusade along with every other movie we've ever reviewed at cinephiles.net. You can follow me at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris1 on Instagram. John is at the Roca says at both places. Our special guest, Shannon McClung, is Shannon underscore McClung. And of course, you can also subscribe to our podcast feeds. On Twitter, that's Cine underscore files. And on Instagram, it's the Cinephiles podcast. So that is it for this week. We'll see you next time for part two of Last Crusade on The Cinephiles.